Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Hey all, and uh, welcome this week's guest, Corey Hilton. Corey, how are you, my man? Very good, Ian. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm way over here in Canada and listened to a few of your episodes uh, in the past and really enjoyed them, and that's why I wanted to reach out to you, and I'm really appreciating the time to be able to spend with you today. It's really awesome. Thank you so much. I'm glad you did. That's funny because I was on holidays when you sent the email. I shouldn't have been looking at my emails, but I'm glad <laughs> I did because because uh, <laughs> it was a good connection. And now I'll always remember where I was, which is cool. Oh, that's um, great. <laughs> I saw a post just before we jumped on. Mm-hmm. Uh, your book, your book mm-hmm. is 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 it fully published or published enough? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, How yeah. exciting is that, mate? Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's actually really exciting, and I appreciate you uh, asking about that because it's actually one of the most proud things I've ever, I guess, one of the things that I have the most pride in that I've ever had in my life um, because it's something that it was such a learning experience, to be honest. I mean, it wasn't just about writing a book, but um, I took so long to be able to do it. And it's, it's my biography and it is, a, a, I guess you could say, a hybrid between a biography and a personal development book as well. Uh, literally speaking to the former version of myself in a lot of ways, where there were some of the struggles and pitfalls that I went through personally. Um, so yeah. I, I, I'm trying to help others out to not deal with that. But um, no, we, we released on Amazon and uh, we had a really good uh, response, hit top 10 in three categories. So that was really good. And now uh, the book's out in um, Barnes and Noble in the US and uh, uh, chapters Indigo here across Canada. So almost a little surreal for a guy as a first time author, to be completely honest. It's, it's uh, crazy. I look at my picture on the cover of my book and I'm like, wow, that's actually happening. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to be in that position. But I've been in status positions before and that doesn't necessarily define worth or value, but it's cool. <laughs> we'll come back to that absolutely yeah. uh and your logo there so let's get straight into this part of your sure. story yeah um take it off so how do you go from high school to becoming uh, an exotic dancer Whew. there's a lot to unwrap there my friend there's a whole lot to unwrap so um Okay, first off, I'll just mention them as far as the title goes, Take It Off is my branding and it actually refers to obviously my former career as a male exotic dancer. That is one way you can look at it. Then you can look at it the other way. It's, it's me trying to really help others to be able to take off the layers that life stacks upon us when from the moment we're born till the moment we pass away in a lot of ways, depending on who we are, we have a lot of layers that we gather and sometimes we never really let go of them. So it's my mission to not only help myself <laughs> drop some of those layers, but help others do it. But to answer your question, really to get down to it as far as how I got in the industry, that's very, very unique. Um, I'll just say it straight up. I, I kind of broke the law right from the get go. 
Um, I was I, I was uh, in high school here in Canada, and the drinking age here is actually 19 to even get into a bar. Um, but for myself, um, I was kind of in a weird place where I was in high school, and I'd been dealing with some bullying and some issues with not really, I guess you could say, having a lot of acceptance and feeling very mediocre, whereas some of the other people in my high school didn't really see it that way. I saw it that way. I was a really hard judge of myself. Um, and so I, after going through some bullying, I really, really wanted to just eliminate that however I could. And this is very similar to some of my other friends that have been bullied too, where they decided to go into the gym, work out, get really big, and then they wouldn't have to deal with that anymore because, well, nobody was going to approach them because they were twice the size. So that's kind of what I did and focused completely on my external, did not, not even address any of my internal issues that I had, which I never even knew that I had. Um, but yeah. At the same time, by doing that, it actually allowed me to, to make new friends um, who were a little older than I was. And actually what happened was one of my friends said to me, Corey, you should come down to the club and wear a university shirt and I'll just get you in the door. It'll be no problem. So, of course, I'm nervous. I've never been in a nightclub before and I was just a kid in high school. So I snuck out from my parents' place and took the bus to the... <laughs> <laughs> to, the, to the club and showed up at seven o'clock at night right when the doors were opening and and uh, of course my friend wade let me in and there's no one there and uh, i'm looking around and the manager comes up and he says oh who are you and I, I introduced myself and he said oh he said you're a friend of his and i said yeah and he goes oh you i see you're going to school and well, I didn't lie. I was going to high school, but just not the school he thought I was going to. And he just turned around. And he said, well, are you looking to make some extra money? And I said, well, of course, I'm a starving student, naturally. And he was like, perfect. Um, take off your shirt. <laughs> and I just kind of looked at him kind of shocked. And well, there was nobody around. So I took off my shirt. Why not? And he said, you're hired. And I'm like, um, what for? And he said, be here on Tuesdays and Thursday nights for two and a half hours. You're going to serve drinks to the ladies here on ladies night while the dancers do their thing. And all you have to do is, is serve the drinks with no shirt on. And um, you make 15% of everything you make at the bar or you sell it from the, uh, as far as alcohol and you keep all your tips. He says, sound like a good deal. And I was just like 17 year old kid sold like done like not even a question sign me up right so that kind of happened and and actually believe it or not even my grandparents who raised me i was adopted to my, my grandparents i was very lucky in that way um they'd already raised other kids before me so they were really kind of in an odd way somewhat liberal about the way that they looked at it and they said well you know Corey, as long as you don't get messed up on drugs and you keep your grades up Fill your boots, kid. You want to go have fun? Do it to it. And so I kept my end of the agreement. They kept their end of the agreement. And I was working doing that while I was in high school. And so I was wow. able to still get up. And you know what I mean. When you're that young, you can go all night. You can do, get a couple hours of sleep and boom, you're right back in it again. And it's not what I can do anymore, that's for sure. But <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying back then it was it was pretty wild. So yeah, that's kind of how I got started. Wow. that That is so cool. Um, now we'll, we'll backpedal and come to how you got to that point of, of, uh, wanting to, yeah, work on yourself physically. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any part of you that was like, like, I'm thinking about myself as a, as a young fella at high school, I would have been really intimidated in that space. Like, was there any part of you that, that like, was like, this is going to be really scary as well? Better believe it. Yeah. A hundred percent. In fact, yeah. more so than most people. Um, I literally even had nightmares when I was a kid nightmares about being exposed um, to the point that I would wake up shuddering sometimes thinking that I was walking down the street completely naked and everybody could see me and were mocking me. Like I literally had those dreams. I'm not even exaggerating this at all. Yeah, wow. And so going into that, 
of course, it wasn't taking all my clothes off at that time. But when I did actually um, get into that environment, so to speak, it was kind of a interesting thing because I had friends around me. I had people supporting me. I was never really like, I guess you could say like um, exploited in any way or anything like that. It wasn't like that. I welcomed it. In fact, I, I saw other male dancers that were a little past their time and looked over and went, Oh, I wouldn't, I don't want to be that guy. But then I would see like other male dancers that were in their prime at that time. And they were really amazing entertainers. And that's something that a lot of people don't really realize that, especially in the heyday of dancing back in 1987, that sort of era, there was a lot of entertainers that really put a lot of effort and creativity into their shows. And it was just way beyond just taking their clothes off. Like for myself, when I got into that, my connection to it wasn't about money or women. It was actually about emotion. Like I really enjoyed extracting emotion out of people. And so when I would get emotion out of people, it was like, it, it gave me such a satisfaction because quite frankly, although I had really great parents, I didn't have a lot of emotional connection as a kid. Like I didn't hear a lot of I love you's and honeys and sweeties in my house. Like my parents were great. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> they were great people. I don't regret them in any way, but they just didn't have those tools. I mean, for some, you're just, you only know what you know. And they were depression era people that were in a, a different environment. Right. And so they had their own set of issues. And, and my grandfather was in the military and kind of robotic as far as the way he was wired from all that in the first place. So that kind of has a chain reaction down through your family. And quite frankly, I'm, I, I really believe in my own way. Like I think certain members of my family have broken the cycle a little bit, but for myself, I feel like I've fully broken the cycle um, because I just really, really didn't want to leave that kind of a trail behind in my legacy. I wanted to be known as somebody that could connect you know that and, and I, I i dealt with so much of that for so many years and it's only been the last few years that i've truly found that connection through my own authenticity but that took a long time it really took a long time yeah yeah and and i'm sure uh, as for me it's an ongoing process right you continue to, to peel back the layers of that absolutely man it's it's there it'll be a practice for the rest of my life i'll maybe live to be 97 like my grandfather and i'll still be practicing that to the last day i take a breath because it's not about perfection i don't have all the answers i'm really good at helping others out you know with as far as other authors out to be able to find their own authenticity and to be able to put that into their writing or for that matter just help friends of mine personally or professionally by leading by example but to me that's the only way i can't say this is what you need to do i can only gently guide somebody in that direction if they're willing and they want to do that well i can help but i mean that you can't, you can't squeeze a square through a circle if they don't want to do it right so it's just that's sort of like if you're in a gym and trying to train somebody to be a person as a personal trainer i can't do the weights for you i can gently guide you and show you how to but you got to do it man you know so yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lot of strategy behind that, that I'm very unique in that way, as far as in the help self-help realm, so to speak, I think that, and I won't drag that on too much, but I do believe that a lot of people in the self-help realm, I do a lot of podcasts. I've heard a lot of podcasts, of course, and listen to a lot of influencers. And quite frankly, I've heard the same story regurgitated a hundred bazillion times about this sort of stuff. I just wanted to just like my dance career, find a unique, a very unique way to present it. And that's what I think I've found gold here in my own way. And yeah, it's, it. it's an interesting process. So we yeah. love it. So good. And I love how you talked about like, well, something that had been a struggle for you when you were younger, that emotional disconnection, mm -hmm. you saw a need for it through your own journey. And then your 
that's your unique way of connecting with an audience. So tell me, yeah. can we go back to those younger years? Yeah. Because you wouldn't be alone in having that experience from parents, uh, I think, sure. whether it yeah. was getting raised by grandparents who lived that or parents who had had their parents go through it. A lot sure. of those same sort of patterns and messages came through and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people would resonate with that where that wasn't necessarily like it was shown through actions but it wasn't sure. necessarily straight out and said so so when when did you have this awareness around this emotional connection or or can you look back now and realize sort of how it played out yeah that's a oh, ooh, do i love that question boy um the reason why i really like that question is because i did to a certain degree for the majority of my life but i never truly connected the dots until this last few years and by connecting those dots i took off the layers and it liberated me from the prison cell in my own mind and i know that sounds really dramatic <laughs> but it really actually was a prison cell for me in a lot of ways and so i guess what i can tell you is this i realized that i was inauthentic and I mean, in unintentionally inauthentic, believe it or not, from the age of five years old. Now, at five years old, I probably didn't even know what the meaning of authenticity was. But I realized that I was inauthentic just by some of the trauma, little t trauma that I went through at that age. And I write this in my first chapter. And it's kind of a funny little story about getting stuck on the top of this Ferris wheel at the fair. And my aunt and uncle took me there and, and I was so traumatized and the thing's swinging back and forth and I'm crying my eyes out at the top of this thing. And I, I thought, Oh my God, you know, like how could my family ever have done something like this to me? And I carried this, this fear of heights for all these years of this horrible story at five years old. And then eventually spoke to my aunt about it and said, and Carol, like what happened there? Like, why would you have ever done something like that to this, you know, to a kid that young? And she just started laughing. And then I got really confused and she was like, Ah, Corey, you were just at the mall. We actually took a quarter. We popped it in the thing. The thing was only maybe seven feet high. You were just stuck <laughs> at the top of the thing and you're just whining your eyes, losing it up there and for no reason at all. And I'm just like, oh, that clarifies a couple of things. So <laughs> that, that, that just kind of gives you just a little, little sliver of example of one connection of the dots. So in my first chapter of my book, my struggle is between truth and perspective. So that's what I literally highlight in each chapter of my book. And then at the end of it, I inject my naked truth into the story. So what I'm saying Ian, is, is that I wrote this story like, you know, years ago, but that was just a story about like through my lens. But now that I'm completely out of that, I'm on the other side of it. I've done all this inner work and, and not in a state of any type of, I guess you could say drug haze or anything in my life that was going on in my previous life. When I can look back and reflect on this at this age, that gives me the ability to expose what I call my naked truth. Again, part of my branding, but it is actually at the end of each and every chapter, which is my straight up responsible, accountable truth side of things where I'm just like not holding back. I'm just like, hey, I'm going to be completely vulnerable. And by doing that, I believe this is my strategy is a little different than other people in this industry is that by exposing my truth like that in my book, I'm showing you mine. And I don't mean to sound creepy by this, but you show me yours. And what I mean by that is, is that like I've been to therapists before and, and, and don't get me wrong, therapists are amazing at what they do and they are really they need to be in the position that they do for a lot of big t traumas like 
don't even, I'm not even saying anything bad on therapy at all. I've taken my dose. What I am saying though is, is that for me personally, if I can actually speak to somebody that has actually walked the walk and they're willing to say, yes, I did this, 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 and this, I screwed up. I'm imperfect. I'm all these things that makes me, allows me to be vulnerable and go, yeah, well, you know what? Now I can relate to this guy. I can admit that maybe I was a little, I screwed up a little bit here myself and I'm going to start using the thumb instead of pointing the finger at everybody, you know, myself. And quite frankly, that's just what I did for so many years was play the blame game, trying to be a perfectionist and comparing myself to others. And that's a slippery slope, right? So this is a lot of the reason why I wrote this book was really because I wanted some of these guys out there like myself, especially men that struggle with lack, unworthiness, uh, emotional disconnection, all of the, all the above, really, like just to be able to have a look at that and go, wow, this guy that spent 25 years of his life taking his clothes off and on the stage and being in this status position and everybody wanting a piece of him and just, you know, all the things that rock stars get or even movie stars get in a lot of ways, just in a different angle. If that guy was going through it, wow, you know, that kind of tells me that, even though my life is is feeling really crappy here right now and I'm going through some stuff, if he, he went through it too, so I can do this, you know, because if somebody in his position is, went through all that, well, you know, it's just one of those things you can relate, right? And so yeah, yeah. that's where I truly believe that that I kind of have a, a, a bit of gold here because what I do now with my course designing and I don't want to, like, I'm sitting here pitching a little bit. I hate to sound salesy, but, but, Pitch all the way. <laughs> but truthfully, I'm a former sales guy. So I just don't want to <laughs> stray over to that. I'm trying to serve, not sell. But what I'm saying is, is that by designing my worksheets right now and going through my courses, and I'm a certified authenticity coach now through my company, my, my publishing company, Daring to Share Global, and I help other authors actually to be able to become more authentic themselves. But by doing using that formula and then actually having my students cross-reference with my book, what I'm doing is, is saying, okay, Ian, go ahead and answer these questions. But before you answer these questions, read chapter one of my book and reflect on a point in your life that was similar to the struggle that I went through. Might not be the same value, but write down your value. And then more importantly, and this is something that they most, most self-help people do not go into, and I'm not, again, tooting my own horn, I'm just saying what I've learned. Values are one thing. We all have different values, but there's only so many values out there. Yeah. But there sure as heck is a lot more feelings that represent those values. And that's where I believe that we are all snowflakes. I know that's a political statement sometimes, but I, I call it we're all snowflakes because we're all so individual with that. And just because... For me, as an example, my when I'm in creative zone, which is one of the creativity is one of my core values. If I'm in if I'm very creative, then I have a feeling of excitement when I'm being very very creative in my life. So I am aware of that, right? So I want my students to be aware of what the feeling is that is attached to their core value, and the reason why I do is because I want them to truly realize when they're out of alignment. So another example, say I, I, I don't have every day that I wake up feeling totally excited and creative. That's not the way life works. But no. if I'm having a day that I'm really disconnected, like really disconnected, then I actually go to my core value and go, okay, which relationship that I have? Is it my girlfriend? Is it my, my work relationship? Is it my family? Which part 
is struggling right now. And I literally try to connect that dot and go, oh, it's with my mom. I'm having a bit of a problem with my mom right now. I need to actually address this issue and get down to it and get that out of the way so I'm not feeling disconnected anymore. And that's just, that's really not a, not a hard process, Ian, but I just don't think people really are aware of it. They don't really literally get down to that. What I would say is it's not a hard process for you because it just plays into exactly what you've been through, right? And mm-hmm. I think this is what, what you're talking about there is like, and you go, oh, I don't mean to sound this. It's like, no, like what it sounds like to me is that this is your level of expertise in this area because it's yes. been your life journey. Exactly something you referenced before when you said there's nothing against going to seeing a whole lot of different people, but there is nothing like talking to someone who has actually walked your path, who has had the same challenges. And, and so what you discuss there around relationships that that is exactly why if people are looking to have that deeper emotional connection in their relationships you'd be a perfect guy for them to speak to because it's been like your life's work right and yeah and you, and you know the spaces to to dig and the spaces to leave alone and, and how to actually get results speak to the guy that's fell on his face for 48 years of his life in relationships so that's the guy to speak to because when he fig- finally figures it out <laughs> it's pretty golden because there's five of those letters that are an experience or, or I should say five of the letters an expert or an experience. Right. And so to me, it's kind of, I like using that analogy to a certain degree. And it's, I know it's sounding a little whatever, but I'm just saying that, that when, when, when I kind of came to that realization that I was actually in a lot of my relationships from a young age, actually, I was either looking up at somebody on their pedestal, or I was looking down from my pedestal. And I was really never looking somebody in the eye. And I had to ask myself, why was that? Like, why did I do this? Because what happened with that was it caused a power struggle in every relationship that I was in. And it caused my partners to have an impossible mission, because they could never live up to the expectation that I had demanded of them because I was so perfect and not willing to address my own stuff. Right. So this is what I'm saying is, is I've reined this back in and went, buddy, use that thumb. It wasn't so much. You can't control all the other stuff out there, but use that thumb and look back at you. And when I connected those dots, oh, my God, because then it was then that kind of opened up this door where love me or hate me. I'm going to be looking at you in the eye and you may actually end up being somebody that leaves my life because of that. But I'm going to actually introduce a lot more authentic people into my life because the bottom line is this. I'm not selling you something today and selling you something different tomorrow. You know who you're talking to. I'm comfortable in my skin. So for the first time, realistically, I although I may not have the body that I had when I was on stage, the person that I actually look at in the mirror, I love and appreciate a lot more because I am really me. And that's why the cover of my book has one side with a mask and one side without because I hid behind that mask for so many years on that stage, right? So that's that's a... You know, it's a gratifying thing. It's a liberating thing to get to that point in your life, no matter how old you are. You can be yeah. 80 years old and finally figure it out, but figure it out, please, guys. <laughs> get there because it's worth it. It really is worth yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one of the fastest ways to to get there is to to be having someone in your corner like yourself who's going to help them navigate it. You, you, yeah. you said something there that has come up a lot in the last couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. I, I want to just highlight this and get your thoughts on it. I've worked with people who are, and I've been in this place myself, there's a fear around what I will find if I dig. 
Mm. If I dig in my past, if memories come back, what will I find? Because mm-hmm. we have this incredible storytelling ability in our own head of creating mm-hmm. meaning that's just not there mm-hmm. and creating some bigger, scarier monster than what is what has actually been the truth. And yeah. your story there around the around the Ferris wheel is, is like perfect, right? Because in your mind, like you're 100 feet tall, yeah. You're you're looking way down, and they made you get in, gonna get on there, or however you you'd seen it, that memory in your head, yeah, yeah, and that creates a pattern of behavior that carries on through your whole life. And yeah. see, this is one of the things around grief that's not spoken about that much because what happens is we have these moments where people pass, and then there's all this grief comes up, but it's everything that's dragged up to the surface like a tsunami that comes over the top in the following days, weeks, months, years that are the, are the real, the essence of what we need to get to. Mm-hmm. So tell me about how you help people with just realizing that some of these things that have happened are just moments that, that aren't as scary as what we seem. And, and often they're just just a conversation where we cre- mm. create this whole other context. This is even before text messages, right? Yeah. We create this whole other context than what was actually meant and how that sort of plays out and how you help people to release those. Yeah. Well, there's a couple things with that one. Um, let me back that up a little because what for myself anyway, um, again, it comes down to that, ex- that expression of emotion. So, I watched, for example, my grandfather who I adored when my grandmother passed away, he couldn't really express his emotion and he bottled up a lot of his emotions for a lot uh, when things got tough, right? When things got uncomfortable, um, he didn't really know how to express himself and, and love him for it in a lot of ways because he just, the poor guy, he did deal with a lot of trauma and heavy trauma that I'll never understand. But I guess like what I'm getting at is, is that when you're talking about those, those things that caught that, that, that carry on through your life from when you're that young age here's a great example is is that um when i was on that ferris wheel and i got that that feeling of fear from that um, i carried that feeling with me for for many many years of my life so when other people that were friends of mine were maybe jump bungee jumping or maybe going and doing paras parasailing or doing certain things that involved heights i kind of went "Eh, not for me and kind of (laughs) walked away from it and then it was funny that I realized actually that, and we all know this, are the, the, I guess you could say the adrenaline junkies out there kind of know this, that it's all the anticipation. It's not the action. Like the action's usually minimal compared to the anticipation, right? So yeah. I was in Philippines uh, two years ago, just before COVID set in and um, had the joy of being in Cebu. And I was at Kawasan Falls. I'm standing at the top of this amazing waterfall and looking down at the blue water, like 15 meters below. And, and I'm shaking and I'm holding on to the tree beside me, standing on a branch, you know, way up there. And I'm looking down like at this just insane waterfall and every bit of fear is just coursing through my veins. And then I, I, I thought to myself, you're never going to stand here again. There's a good chance you'll never be in this spot again in your entire life. So do you turn around and do you walk back down and, and succumb to your fear and all this anticipation that's built up and your heart pounding is going to win? Or are you just going to say, screw it and make the jump, right? Because it's all and So I decided when my guide started counting three, two, one, before he even hit one, I jumped. 
Cause I was like, I'm getting it over with, like, let's just do it. And when I did it, it was one of the most exhilarating experiences. I'm glad I actually taped the experience so I can relive it all over again. And so every time that I get into a place where I'm feeling like, Oh, I can't, well, I just kind of watch one of those videos and go, yeah, you can. It's just all your, your own heads telling you, you can't. Right. So I, I think again, like that's one of those, those layers. It comes back to those layers that you just put on, even if it's just the, the, the situation when it came down to the, the, the Ferris wheel, or for that matter, even sometimes not even really understanding as a kid too. So like for myself, I had a little bit of, I guess you could say abandonment issues too. And I know I'm starting to really sound like I had lots of issues, but we all have mental health issues to a certain degree. But yeah, you know, so, so I realized because I was, I didn't know truthfully that I was adopted until I was 12 years old. So I always thought that my grandparents were my real parents and and my biological mom was was there around and stuff, but she was in a place where she was living her life as a young lady at that time. And so realistically, my aunts and uncles were all kind of like my brothers and sisters. And so when she revealed to me that she was my real mother, I kind of laughed and said, no, you're my sister. And I wouldn't even believe her. I thought it was actually kind of funny. And then she said, no, 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 you have to understand, like, I'm telling you the truth. And so... And then she said in the same moment, she said, well, but I can actually have you, I can introduce, have you introduced to your biological father. And reluctantly, I said, yes. And I say reluctantly, because I looked up so much to my grandfather. I just loved him so much. And so I didn't have a void to fill there. In fact, I was already fulfilled with that. So did I really want to even talk to this person that I'd never met? No, because it didn't matter to me. And quite frankly, as well, I already had the, the insight in my own mind where I didn't want to disturb his life because there was really no reason. So, but I said, yes, I will. And so when he was supposed to show up to actually meet me, he didn't show up. And I buried that, literally buried it into my subconscious and didn't think anything about it until a few years ago when I was actually speaking with my biological mom and this subject came up and all of a sudden it dawned on me and I was like, oh my god so here we go back to this connect the dots thing with your emotions and your core values so (laughs) i realized that i have this abandonment issue because of this this moment that happened in my life and i checked back into my my breakups with girlfriends and through my entire life every single breakup that i'd ever had and i've expressed them in my book every breakup i really I dramatically overreacted to the point where I was just like pouring tears, just like the floodgates came out and I was just so hurt by it more so than most men would even be to be completely honest when I really look at it. So why was that? And I could never kind of figure it out. And then when I connected that dot, I was like, Oh yes, that's why. So again, it's not necessarily about, when you connect these core values to your feelings, it's not necessarily about being the best version of yourself or your future, but it also allows you to connect the dots from your past to truly understand why these things have happened to you. So now I can clarify why my ex-wife and I split and, you know, we went through an eight year marriage and seven of the eight were glorious. The last year wasn't so great. The seven year itch kicked in pretty heavy, but my lack of creativity in my life at that time pulled my feeling of excitement out of my life, which in turn caused me to be a different person than she married. And without even realizing it, I was a different person and she'd grown in a different way too. So 
it's funny, like as many people say, oh, it must be must have been so hard to be married to a male stripper. <laughs> it's just so funny because actually it was so easy for her to be married to the male, the male stripper. It was harder for her when I went into a different profession and I didn't have that excitement in my life. That was when I changed. So she actually enjoyed the male dancer a lot more, not for the show that I was doing, but just for the fact that I was enjoying, I was being more authentically me, right? So yeah. yeah it, it's just crazy. There's so many ironies, my friend. Even the irony of having lack, like lacking money and thinking that I was always going to be lacking money. I've never even been close to destitution, but always feeling like I was going to be lacking money in some way. And the audacity to me, even to think that when I had hula skirts of dollar bills around my G-string most of the time, collecting money from women constantly. How could I even think that? Like, it's just crazy, right? But yeah. connected the dots. Yeah. <laughs> You said something there that I think is really powerful. Well, I know is really powerful is that when you have understanding, mm -hmm. and even when you don't, just mm -hmm. giving yourself a leave pass. Yeah, don't be man. so hard on yourself. Yeah, like and anyone listening, like just thinking about those things that you're like, oh man, there's a reason for these things. It doesn't. It mm -hmm. doesn't give you an excuse for behaviour going forward, but it allows you to realise that it's not your fault. Like these, these are patterns often ancestral that go back and back and back yeah, and, and then things that happen when we're young again that that our young brain just did the best to deal with it to keep us safe as we as it could and just yeah give ourselves a pass and, and when we when we do have those conversations and we have these realizations it just it it gives us such peace and it gives us such clarity to move forward right it's liberating. It's the word I call it. It's just liberating because like I was so hard on myself, man. Like, you know, that, here's a good example of how hard I was on myself. I was 23 years old. I did something that only 1% of the entire world has done. I went through the entire bodybuilding phase, bulked up, dieted down, got on stage, did a show, like did the whole thing. You know, it took years to do that and 10 weeks of dieting dropping 40 pounds in 10 weeks just insane freak to be a freak type of stuff and i got up on that stage and i had pictures taken of me and you know man i even had mr usa at that time say man you came in more ripped up than the majority of you guys do for the olympia congratulations and i felt like a superhero when he said wow. that it was yeah. amazing i didn't win the contest but i felt so great but the thing was even when i was at that point I still looked at those pictures and went, could have had bigger calves, should have worked on my hamstrings more. My butt was a little too big, you know, Gosh, should have done this, should have done that. Just picking myself right apart. And I'm so about progression now in comparison to perfection because perfection is just such a slippery slope of not ever being happy. You, yeah. just, you just will never be truly happy. And so when I have mistakes that I make now where I used to go, oh, Corey, and I'd be all like on myself about it. Now, if I have something going on that I drop something on the floor or whatever and it spills all over the place, I'll just sit there and laugh. And I just actually go, you know, as, as stupid as this is, I actually, and it's, this comes from actually, believe it or not, from Kyle Cease, a writer that I really enjoy reading his stuff. He's a comedian and he wrote a really good book called The Illusion of Money. And one of the things that he kind of said in that is when you actually understand truly your your own real true imperfections like you feel the feelings of lack unworthiness whatever it is if you can actually look at that and go you know i i i have these emotions and i deal with this stuff but i love that because it's just who i am and you accept it for what it is as crazy as that sounds it makes a massive difference instead of being so hard i mean and by being hard on yourself it's not really helping anybody in the process 
it isn't right like you're you're putting yourself into a worse state of mind and that really puts it injects it into the environment that you're in too right the people you see so 100 100 percent um now, one thing that's clear to me is that uh, you are a performer, a natural performer, just from the conversation we've had so far, but also <laughs> that description that you had around saying just how much fulfillment you had when you were when you were performing and then you go into a different sort of career and that's taken away. So how do you find that energy now from performance now that you've moved onto a different career? Because I think if people are listening and, they, and maybe they, they've been sports people or or anything that that has allowed them to have a certain identity that felt really amazing and then that's and then that goes with age or transition or whatever else how yeah. do you find that energy now and how have you been able to transition into something else to to keep that fulfillment high i think that for myself personally now this might not apply to some of your audience members but for myself personally um, yes, I got so, I had so much gratification out of creating great acts and I wasn't the type of stripper guy that was out there doing the YMCA every night. Like I was the guy that was creating really cool stuff, right? That's why I won Mr. New Western Canada. That's why I ended up in Florida working for the largest beach club in North America. Like that's why I sustained a 25 year career because I was always recreating myself. Like I was never really staying with oh, this is just the industry standard and I'm just going to do it as a J-O-B. Like I always wanted to get that reaction. And just like authenticity, sometimes it ain't easy. You know, sometimes you make a show and it's a disaster. And that's the worst. Like ask any stand-up comic, comic that stands up there and bombs a show how that feels. It sucks. It's no fun at all. But guess yeah. what? The best thing about that is, is when you really bomb, you fail and you learn from the failure, right? So uh, it's good to fall. It's all you get back up. So for myself, I fell a few times. And then when I got back up, I was like, okay, I'm going to start looking at what other people do. And I'm not going to steal what they're doing, but I'm going to grab some of those clues of success that they have. And I'm going to start using some of those myself. So to answer your question, that's my former life. That was built working off the exterior. But now in the last few years, I've opened up a door to my inner self, which to me, just like the dance industry where I was addressing my greatest fear by going out there and taking my clothes off, now I'm addressing my greatest fear at this point in my life by going ahead and exposing myself, being vulnerable, whether it's in my book or it's on stage talking or it's just one-on-one -on -one speaking with somebody. Now I'm getting that, that, those, those goosebumps because I'm, what I'm saying to that person is resonating. They're listening and going, man, this can really help me. And so like gratifying is like the gratification of that is more than anything I ever did on stage because that's really like from the heart. It's not just for another purpose. Like what I was doing before was a lot of fun, but it wasn't my calling, so to speak. I really believe that my true purpose is, is, is more than just those stories. And that's why it took me another decade after I finished the stories of my book to actually publish my book. Cause I wasn't finished yet. I needed, I needed to give my audience more. I needed to serve more. And this was my one big shot to do it. So I put it all in, I went in all in on this and you know, I'm not in this position, but if it came right down to it, Ian, I'm so passionate about this this whole project for Take It Off that if I lost everything and I was stripped down literally naked again in my life in a different way where I didn't have anything but the shirt on my back, I would go to that extent to make this happen. I would go there. I would actually literally all in. 
And I know that sounds crazy because that's right the opposite of what my grandfather always told me. Never put all your eggs in one basket. Well, I'm at 52 years old in April and all my eggs are in one basket. So, you know, uh, but in a lot of ways, that's what you got to be when you really have that passion, you know, when you're really going for it. 100%. And now I'm getting goosebumps as well because this is what, uh, this is what purpose is about. It's mm -hmm. knowing that you'll do this regardless. Whatever uh, to it me, takes. This one, yeah, whatever it takes. And if you look at it through the lens of grief, like this is the gift that we get from grief when we're ready, not like depending on where you're up to and your grieving journey, it, mm -hmm. you have to be ready. But when you are, then you realize exactly as you've been describing the lessons all the, the, the fulfillment, the areas that you can now move into for, for more fulfillment and then pay it forward to other people to share mm -hmm. everything that you've learned to create a positive impact. Yes, sir. Everyone listening to this, I want to say this, you are all already doing this in some way. You are already bringing that sense of purpose. You're doing things for free that you just do naturally well. Like you described before, Corey, how you – connecting people at an emotional level through the relationships because that's something you've continued to work on. Everyone listening will have something like that in their life that they just do naturally well. They don't – they similar to what you described. Ah, I find that easy. Like everyone's got that thing that they find easy, but they sure. tend to look at it and think, well, it's nothing because it is easy. But the thing is, is it's not easy for everyone. That's right. And, and so if you look at your journey going forward now, all eggs in one basket – knowing that there'll be a whole lot of different versions of this, right? So what is, what is still to take off? Wow. You know, I, I, as crazy as it sounds, I think that it's, it's not even so much taking off. It's more getting back used to doing something that I used to do. And what I mean by that is, is um, what I was talking about, about your greatness is hidden behind your biggest fears. Now, you might be a little surprised to hear this for a guy that showed us, you know, everything basically to half of North America. Um, but believe it or not, um, I have a big fear of public speaking. And although I've done it and I've stood in front of rooms full of people and I was very thankful that I had a table in front of my legs because my knees were shaking so much. <laughs> That, you know, it's just, it's a massive fear. And it's just, it's, I don't know, it's one of those ones that a lot of people have because obviously you're intimidated by these things. But the funny part of it is, is that I, I joke about this when I went, and this is what I think in my head when I'm going into that environment. Yeah. Most people say when you're public speaking, you're supposed to picture the audience as naked and it'll get <laughs> you through. But for myself... I've still been on the other side of the coin being naked for so long that it just doesn't kind of work really. So <laughs> it's one of those things that I have to revert back to actually kind of what I used to do when I emceed my dance review. And when I would get into situations where maybe an example of a show one time that I was working just outside of Atlanta when the music, the sound system went down. Now, what do you do as a male dance review that's supposed to be doing a ladies' night with no music? Like, the sound system shot completely out halfway through the show. Well, there's only so many choices. you got to start getting creative, right? So I just turned around and I said, well, you know, got on the microphone. I was like, well, who wants to end it now? Everybody just loses their mind. No, no, no. And I'm like, okay, well, that's okay. We're going to need audience participation to make this happen. Not our fault that the music system went down. And it's not your fault either. 
But if you can all clap your hands to the beat, we can finish this show off. Are you all game to do it? And there was probably three, four hundred women there, and they all agreed. And they clapped till their hands broke. You know, (laughs) and we had a blast. And it was just to the beat, and we all danced to the beat of the claps. And I kept the show going by emceeing it. And we had a blast. And it was actually one of the more fun shows. And I still will always remember that out of the entire 25-year career that I had, I'll still remember that show. Because it meant so much to have that connection with my audience. And we pulled it off in this place of adversity. And so that's where I think when now that I'm going, when I'm trying to go into this next level of taking off a layer is, is got to get back to that mindset when I was at, when I was at that show, right? Instead of being the yeah. guy standing there struggling with his knees shaking, I got to get back to there. So it's just kind of retraining your brain again, I guess a little bit. Um, but look, I'm look in my eyes, I'm always going to be curious. I'm always going to be trying to be just aware because I think the awareness side of it is just so important. Um, just overall and, and, and just looking like I can tell you straight up exactly. Like I, I keep my, literally my core values written down in my pocket and I had keep the, um, the emotional feelings that are connected to those in my pocket so that in the event, and this can very easily happen to any of us is that I get triggered by somebody or something during my day when I'm out, maybe here's a great example. You end up in a position where you're having road rage. Somebody cuts you off. And you're freaking mad at them. And you're just like, how dare you cut me off? You don't even know this person, but you're screaming and pounding on your steering wheel and whatever. It's not their fault. Maybe they made a mistake cutting you off, but that's not, it's not about them. That, that trigger was not pulled because of that guy cutting me off. That I have to actually look at that trigger and go, okay, why am I actually overreacting in this situation right now? And pull it out and go, which one of my core values is being compromised? Oh, I feel right now like my my safety, my I'm not feeling protected right now, and I'm feeling unsafe. It's because I'm I'm my my core value of protection is being actually like depleted. So then I can pinpoint it and go, yeah. And so by doing that and taking a couple of breaths, which we've heard this in standard therapy stuff, taking a couple of breaths, take a step back and evaluate it with a rational mindset instead of an overly emotional mindset you make the better decision, right? Because obviously the stock market, what does that go by? Emotions, everything, everything decision-making. You don't want to make a, a decision to buy a new house the day after your parents die or the day after your partner has something happen to them that you're thinking about nothing but that. Yeah. You got to be making those decisions with, with a really proper mindset, right? So even though it's not easy, this is all a practice. And that's what I keep saying is, is I'm never going to be perfect with it, but being aware at least is making me a better version of myself. And on top of that, not just looking at the world through my lens, but being open enough. And I think we have a real problem with this in the world right now. And I'm not here to say that I'm going to here to solve the whole world's problems because that ain't going to happen. But I'm just saying that there's so much black and white. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong with our social media world and everything that we have going on right now. The reason why I don't think there's a lot of gray area is because a lot of us actually think that everybody thinks like us or that the next person that's talking to us has the exact same political, religious ideology, whatever it might be, and they assume that that person thinks that same way. But if they don't, then they're just sitting there going, oh, well, you don't agree with me? Then block. Get out of my life. And it's like, no, you don't have to do that. Just (laughs) All you have to do is just like, 
try to understand. Like I've had people that I don't agree with on religious or, or even political ideology, but I just turn around and say, you know, I'm not trying to argue with you or even change your mind because you're not going to change mine and I'll disagree till the cows come home. But can I just get in your head so that I can understand why you feel that way? So that when I can understand that, at least I can respect it. And then I can move on to something that we do agree on and we can still be happy disagreeing. But I don't know. I just, that's what to me, a really authentic, true leader does. And I wasn't being that way for a lot of the years in my life. I was very rigid on that in that department. So again, I'm not saying, you know, I've walked this walk of making so many mistakes now that it's really, really clear, really clear when I'm, when I'm walking that same walk again, and I have to watch myself and be aware of when that happens because I'm still not perfect and I never will be. Mm, So good. And what struck me is uh, your ability to, come from that lens of understanding is very much from your own journey of understanding yourself first. hundred percent. And then when you have more of that understanding, then you can see that, Oh, actually this other person's not out to get me. This other person's not deliberately doing this, that, and the other to me, but they're just having their own journey of battling whatever they've got going on. Oh God, man. When I went through my divorce, I went on a seven, eight year Forrest Gump walk, walking around the town that I live in. Went in and, and actually literally thinking to myself when I would walk by somebody, oh, I'm glad they can't see what's going on in my head right now. They'd want to run the other way because my head's so screwed up. Right. And that's, that's what I'm coming back to is, is that authentically, you know, I, I shed a lot of tears. I went through a lot of heartache and I held up a lot of emotions and I bottled them up. And this is one of the things I said at the very end of my book. And that was just simply that let the damn break before you damn break. Like just let like cry it out, man. If you got to do it, like it's not a bad thing. You're not, you're not being a lesser man. You got to go in the other room to do it, do it, you know, because when you bottle it up, it just always comes out the wrong way. And, and I'm notorious for doing it myself. Right. So I don't want to do that to anybody else again in my life and because I wouldn't want it done to me. And so, yeah. you know, I really authentically mean that. Like, I just feel that, that a lot of us guys, like we, we kind of go by this systematic thing. We've watched one too many movies where the guy stands there all tough and we expect to be that. We, we look up at that and expect to be that role. And if we're not that role, then we're disappointing. And, you know, I hate to bring up a statistic cause it's a pretty raw one, but three of four suicides right now in Canada are men. Now, got to ask yourself, why is that, right? Like, yeah. really? It's, yep. it's a lot to do with the hunter-gatherer, the caveman approach where it's like you're not being able to gather, you're not being able to hunt, you're not coming through, the wife's not happy with certain things, you're failing your kids, whatever, and it's those layers are just dropping on you, and they're getting heavier and heavier. Because I was kind of that guy to a certain degree at one point in my life where I, I'd really lost it all, and... You know, I'm fortunate that I'm still here afterwards. I don't even need to go into the details, but you know, when when you get when you get everything kicked out of you, you know, from underneath you, and you know, I, I I always kind of said, oh, you know, I'm getting up that mountain again, and the boot of life's coming and kicking me back down, and that was me playing the blame game. That was me being inauthentic and playing the blame game on everybody else for my own life problems. But when I actually stopped playing that blame game and started really looking at myself, that was when I could truly rebuild from that day. It wasn't, it took a while. And yes, I wanted to get my body back and stuff to the way I was before I was married. But what really was the difference was when I was able to kind of go, 
accept my own shit. Pardon my friends. When I really was able to really just go, yes, you screwed up, buddy, but it's okay. Just learn and get up and get back better next time. But I could never have done any of that unless I was really authentically willing to do that. Right. And yeah, so good. You got to be willing, man. So good. <laughs> it's funny that you, you, you mentioned that, um, how did you describe it? Uh, let the damn break before you damn break. Uh, the, 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 uh, the previous interview that I, that I put onto the podcast this week, the guest was talking about exactly that. You can't run from it. And it's like, he described it like a volcano, like it will keep bubbling up and there will be an explosion if you don't vent. Yeah. And whether it's finding a safe space, like you said, in, in another room, or it's speaking to someone like yourself, like it's all uh, allows all of that build up to ease. And, yeah. and it comes down to a choice and it takes courage and it takes bravery, but the alternative is way worse, right? It's called the arc of intense energy. And that's what we call it in my, my, my company that they train me on this stuff. Like the arc of intense energy is just when you're, you, you, you know, when you're on the arc, I'll tell you how, you know, because you have a physical response. It's either a lower gut feeling, it's the flushed skin, it's the hair on the back of your neck that's standing up. That We all have had that feeling before, but it's how we deal with it. And most of the time, depending on how big of a deal it is, like how massive it is, and don't get me wrong, I'm not here to try to understand the, the, the heavy T traumas that a lot of people in this world go through. It's a yeah. little harder to get off the arc in some of those situations. Yeah. But when you're just on a standard arc of somebody maybe saying something that you, you know, that kind of tweaks you or whatever it may be, and you actually feel it, that's when you have to really be really aware more than anything at that time. And what, the way that I kind of describe it is, is that when all my core values are aligned and everything is really, really like, I mean, it's never going to be all aligned because that's perfection and that does not happen. But when, when all the feelings behind my core values are like at the best that they can be, like my vibration is really, really high. I, we call it in my company, my, my, the owner of my company, Diana Ryer, she created this and just called the inner purpose feeling. So it's like of all the feelings combined. So you create the word that is that. So for my word, it's actually harmony. I came up with harmony is it's I'm harmonious amongst all feeling, but the opposite is dissonance. So if I'm sitting there in a state of dissonance, then I really know that I'm really being inauthentic. Like I really know that I'm on the other side of my, my true values. And I really know that there's a whole lot of stuff going on that I don't need to be making any crazy decisions. <laughs> I need to really work some stuff out before I'm going to go into anything that's going to cost me in any way. Right. So that is just kind of, again, if I didn't go through this type of training and understand this and, and, and have somebody point these things out, then I couldn't have determined sometimes why some of the things that people that I loved said affected me so much or why I went through so many like emotional issues at times in my life. Like just, and I, I won't drag this on forever because I know we're running on time, but I will say that one thing was that my grandmother, who God rest her soul, I loved her with all my heart. I still have tears over her sometimes because she really, really, I love that woman so much. But I can remember the place that she was standing in the kitchen of our place in our little middle class house back when I was a kid. And the look on her face when she looked at that eight-year-old kid and said, Corey, you are a follower and you are not a leader. And I just went, oh. 
I'm a follower. Okay. And maybe I was a follower at that moment. Maybe I was running around doing some stupid stuff as an eight-year-old kid, but I didn't need to be told that by my mother. And so I held that for a long time and I had a real problem with leadership. But when I went through my course, actually what my trainer, my mentor actually said to me was, she said, I want you to do something for homework tonight after you define what a true leader is for me. I said, okay, well, I can give you my definition. And I said, you know, gently guiding somebody in the right direction, not telling them what to do, leading by example, blah, 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 blah. And I just kind of rattled it off. And she said, okay, well, when you go home tonight, I want you to do me a favor, write it down, express all the times that your mother and your father were, lead- were in a leadership role. And I was able to do it for my father. And he was a hard worker and he led a crew and he did, you know, amazing things at his work. But when he came home, he wasn't really a big leader of the household. He kind of just sat there and read the paper sort of thing. And when it came down to my grandmother, she actually was in a lot of ways, the default housewife that had dinner on the table at 5 PM. And just, you know, it was just the standard. It was very just structured kind of systematically, I guess, with what, then what they knew, like that's all they knew. It wasn't like they meant to be this way. But when she did this, what she said to me in that moment was you're a follower and not a leader because she was being a follower and not a leader she was actually the one that was conveying that off on me. She didn't want me to be that way because she'd struggled with that herself. So by doing that, that brought up ease in my mind, right? It gave me that unity in my soul that made me kind of go, okay, now I can accept that. I'm okay with yeah. that now. And I can be a leader now because that wasn't about me to start with, right? So good. That understanding again, that just provides us with so many insights to, to realize why. And it gives us so much peace. Uh, I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. You're very, very welcome. If you look at the the journey you went on and you're you're standing on a stage and and you're also at 17, a teen where this sort of thing comes into it anyway, how did you go with self-judgment when when you're already at sort of at that awkward age anyway and there's a, a lot going on in your life yeah. and and then you go into that space? <laughs> like how have you learned to deal with judgment and and make peace with it through what you've lived? Ooh, that's a heavy one. Um, because to be honest, I, I, I was always kind of saying to people, oh, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I used to say that, oh, I, I take my clothes off for a living. How could I care about what anybody thinks of me? I'm exposed anyway, right? I used to always kind of joke about it. Yeah. But then when somebody would say to me, say I was like in a corporate position and I was doing sales long after my career was over and maybe I was in a sales slump and, I wasn't hitting the numbers that I wanted to. And my supervisor was over my shoulder trying to get into my head saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. And saying it all the wrong ways. And I would take it all personal. And I would be just like, then that arc of intensity would start to build up inside of me. And I would just be like bottling it up and bottling it up. And I was like, I'm I'm my own worst judge again. And I'm like, oh God, you're just struggling so hard and you're not getting the sales and you're, you're not this and you're not this and you're not this. And I would just rip myself to shreds, right? Because when I was in my former career and I was able to get that acceptance very easily and not be judged. See, that's the funny thing is is a lot of the time you'd think, oh, the guy that's out there taking his clothes off must be worried about being judged all the time. (laughs) Quite the opposite. That was on the other end of the pole. I was more worried about being judged when I was in the standard working nine to five J-O-B like everybody else in this planet. That's where I was really actually in that judgmental thing about myself in a lot of ways. And I could Mm. never take that constructive criticism. I could just never do it. It was so brutal. And now 
I'm on the other end going, Hey, if, if you and I were just having a shoot the, you know what conversation I'd be, and I, we've known each other for a few years. I just turn around and say, Hey, Ian, do me a favor, man. Tell me about what my gifts are first. Give me, give me three, give me three really good gifts. Boost my ego. Tell me a little bit about what's good. Now give me three and tell me my crappiest weaknesses. Give me the stuff. Tell me everything. Like right from, I don't care if it's the smallest thing. Give me my weaknesses. Tell me what they are because I can't see them through my lens. You can see them, but I can't see them because I'm looking at me in a different way. It's, it comes back to that. I don't know if you're even familiar over in Australia, but there was a, there was an advertisement. You could probably Google it. It was an old dove soap advertisement from many, many moons ago. And there was a sketch artist that actually had these ladies come in and they described themselves. Now he was a police sketch artist and the lady would describe herself. So she would sit there and she would be like, Oh, I have blonde hair and I have blue eyes and I have wrinkles under my eyes and I have a little knot on the side of my nose. And she'd go on and on and just tell the sketch artist what she just described as far as who she was. Sketch artist would sketch it out. And then later on, after this lady had met with these other ladies, they would have another one come into the same sketch artist behind the screen, can't see them. Different lady would say, they would, the sketch artist would say, now describe her for me. And so that new woman would turn around and describe that woman with the blonde hair and blue eyes and say, she had really pretty blue eyes. Her eyebrows were just perfect. And you know what? Even though she had a little bit of wrinkles underneath her eyes, it didn't make a difference because it added to her character. And she actually had a really beautiful chin or whatever. And just talking all the positives. So the person themselves would just, and the picture that the sketch artist painted was completely different right? Because it was just a completely different perspective, right? So that's what I'm kind of saying when I'm looking for feedback from people. I'm going to be my own worst critic because there's that little thing called that inner critic inside of all of us, right? It's that saboteur. And for me, that inner critic's still there and he will always be there. So I just got to keep my foot on him a little bit every once in a while and not be so bloody hard on myself, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah, that's my one of my biggest lessons learned is that inner critic can really be a bitch sometimes, you know? And it can really put you in a paralysis. Yeah, and you're so right. And uh, what struck me then is is how many people who in in the think that the area that we think they would feel most judged, it's actually the area that they feel most comfortable, and it's the other areas. And if we look at how we are we are keeping an eye out for people, that's that's the space space to actually be curious about how they're going like yeah. I, my, my former career working in television was watching people of uh, stature athletes come in and you see them perform and they seem to have no fear and then they come in and they're they, you can see that they were at times we're looking around to see who was watching and and that that same sort of look that i recognize because i have been there so many times myself is worrying about what what eyes might be on them and what judgment might be coming and it, and it's yeah. amazing like we we put people in these certain positions you, you mentioned the word before we jumped on around a pedestal mm-hmm. and yet they're just human as well they yeah. just have their own strengths and weaknesses and challenges and things they're working through um, yeah and you you you, we, you and i uh, just so your audience knows we've obviously had a prior conversation to get to know such a session a while ago and you know we have a mutual love for your australian phenoms uh, in excess and and just to see I have always gravitated towards the story of Michael Hutchins and oh much love for Michael Hutchins I've always from afar really admired still do when I watch his stuff I think he was if not the greatest front man of all time possibly will maybe go down in history as the greatest front man of all time because he was authentically who he was 
And that was the saddest part was, is that, you know, when those lights went down, right. And we don't really know the whole story. I don't think anybody really knows the whole story, but it's, it's so sad to me that, 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 that man, you know, and maybe, maybe in his own way, you know, he'll be forever young and maybe that's a good thing in one way, but in another way, it's kind of like, I just always kind of think to myself, like even somebody that I looked up at that much as an entertainer and I really still look at some of this stuff and go, man, I wish I could have just had one second in that guy's shoes, just one second, you know, yeah. cause he had the world just men and women, just everybody was just like, I just, man, he just had some way that charisma, you know, it was just so powerful. And I don't know. I just always look at it like even him, even him. Yes. And I, you know, and yeah. I just, that shows you that we're all human. We really truly are. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. And, uh, I love how you, you linked in, uh, Michael Hutchins because, you know, like if you talk about, uh, he was an exotic dancer, right? Like his, his ability to connect, connect emotionally with the crowd. There, there's a shot there. I'm sure it's uh, Wembley Stadium and, and he's yeah. like, you know, live, he's the whole, yeah, the whole the whole crowd eating out of his hands. So, Man, that yeah. feeling is like none other too. <laughs> well, that's it what I wanted to hear. I wanted to like hear like so when, when you have that emotional oh. connection with a crowd, like what, yeah. what is that like and, and how, how does it feel to be able to then – to be able to then shift that energy and, and almost take it where you, where you want at will. Yeah. Um, it's really something that I haven't experienced on that level for so many years. And I'll never understand even close to the level that, that that superstar experienced at Wembley. But you know, what I will say um, is that I had a little bit of a taste of it to a certain degree at times, and it was better than any drug that I ever did. And I only really truly did one drug and that was ecstasy when I was, when I was partying in Florida and I did quite a bit of it for a while and I went on a pretty heavy downward spiral and a pretty heavy upward one, but no ecstasy pill or anything that I've ever taken into my body will ever compare to the adrenaline rush and the, the, the emotional connection that I would have with a crowd. And what I mean by that is, is I'm not just talking about having them screaming, take it off. I'm talking about when I was able to actually put my heart and soul into an act, maybe even when I went up, when I went through a heavy breakup and I created a character that had lost everything that he owned and lost his house, car, wife, the whole white picket fence, the dog, cat, everything. And we created a, a character called the executive and we created a scene that was like basically a, a street scene with a burning garbage can and a, and a basic park bench out there. And, and I, come out as this bum and I've got like this bottle that has a bag around it and I'm pretending I'm drunk and I'm doing the whole thing. And anyway, bottom line is, is that I'm whining and complaining about my horrible life that I have now. And all I have left is this, this wedding ring and this picture of her sort of thing. And I'm all just cynical and pissed at the world and everything. Right. And then I went through my whole routine and stripped out of that. And of course, you know, there's a lot that came in between that. And then at the very end of the song, I would take the ring and throw it away and take her picture and throw it into the garbage can that's burning. And, you know, that then the crowd goes wild as I take the last bit off and it's just like the place goes insane. Now, was it just because of the, the crowd reaction that I felt that way? No, it was actually because it was part of my story. It was actually part of me that I injected into that act and it was far more than a YMCA act. So I was really 
feeling that emotional connection with that crowd. And so I would even have girls sometimes, I'm not even lying, and my ex-wife chuckled one time when a girl came up, like literally tears flowing down her face, looking for an autograph saying, oh my God, you're like the sixth Backstreet Boy, just losing her freaking mind. And, I'm, and we, we went back home that night and she's just like, you know, my wife, my ex-wife, she's just like, oh baby, you're just like the sixth Backstreet Boy. And she's like playing off at me, you know, playing like one of these fangirls. And we were just having so much fun laughing at the whole thing. But it really did actually happen quite often where it was kind of interesting. And I had another podcaster mention this at one point too, where it's kind of like you don't even realize yourself, but there's a lot of people out there that are having disconnects at home, maybe with their partners. And when they would come out to a ladies night, even though it was a couple of hours of just entertainment and having a good time, it was a release from that. And they got a little bit of attention that they actually didn't get from their partners. And that meant something. It didn't necessarily mean that I was screwing around with them or anything like that. Just being able to have that little bit for that little bit of time. Maybe they have a really dysfunctional relationship at home. They can just get that little bit of relief, that bit of freedom in their own mind for a little bit to have some fun. You know, so there was was times where I took that for granted, just kind of rolling around doing what I was doing, right? Yeah, yeah. If we flip it on the other side of like uh, like you, the experience that you had, and I know you compare it to Michael and uh, and uh, Wembley Stadium, <laughs> but the reality is we all can access that feeling through our own journey. So oh, yeah. your journey wasn't to be in that position. Your journey was to be in the position you were, and every single one of us has that ability to yeah. feel that energy that you talked about that, that surges through us that, that is better than anything you could take, anything. Mm-hmm totally true man so true and and, you know we don't even realize our own value a lot of the time like it's so funny because like i had literally people say this to me this is just crazy i could go on for days but it's just so crazy because here i was you know did this crazy career for 25 years and i have all these people asking me asking me tell me a story Corey. tell me a story so i tell them some story about some crazy injury that i had or whatever right and it was funny but I didn't even realize the whole time I was telling all these stories, this was my value. So like when, when my strategist at my, one of my companies I work with brand builders, he asked me, he said, Corey, what's your uniqueness? And I turned around and I said, Oh, well, I, I've done a lot of introspection and I wrote this book and blah, 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 blah. And I kept, you know, rattling off all these things. I'm thinking about it too hard. And he said, no, man, just get down to basics. What's your uniqueness? And I said, Oh, I was a male dancer for 25 years of my life exactly that's where your value is man like he's it's that simple you don't have to dig deep like just it's right there it's right in front of you right so that was kind of like i think that that's sometimes like a lot of people kind of do is is they they assume that their past doesn't have any value to anyone else out there but it does those those messes in your message can impact other people in such a massive way right so I got a lot of mess in my message. (laughs) Well, we all do. And and even if if you're not looking to be able to necessarily have this big impact on people, even if you wanted to change direction in your career, like Mm -hmm. everything that you've done serves a purpose. Like I'm sure you found the value in what you did. Like you're literally selling yourself on stage every night. And I don't mean selling like, you know, man of the night Mm -hmm. sort of thing, but you you were selling in terms of you were creating an emotional connection. You were trying to convince those people in the crowd that they were having a good time by whatever you were doing and and then taking all of those things into the next part of your career. Yeah. And it's funny you talked about that simplicity because I just the, what dawned on me then is that the things that we've talked about have all sort of revolved around these main three things, and that's understanding, 
Mm-hmm. So from personal and how that allows you to understand the other people in your world, that's that, mm-hmm. that uh, connection you talked about. Yeah. Knowing your value and being able to own it and then being able to build that emotional connection with the most important people through those two really simple areas, it says just looking at things simply, you can just say, create such a massive change in your life, right? It's so simple, man. And I just like, and it's simple, but not. It's, yeah. it's only simple, simple if you're willing to go there. Like, yeah, it's simple, like, but it, not not necessarily easy. Yeah, like, just because it's that's right. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. That's a yeah. fact. But I will say, like, I mean, it's kind of like when I look at, okay, I want to hit a higher state of consciousness in the next relationship that I'm in. I took two years off of relationships, career, everything for this project. But that was also to prepare myself for my next stage in life because I'm not here to waste any more time because I'm 52 years old and I want to actually have for once in a relationship that I'm actually looking at somebody straight on instead of up or down. So it's kind of like that's when I'm going to hit that real higher state of consciousness. But how do I do that when I don't understand that? Like You know when they talk about love languages, I'm sure you're familiar with the old love language thing. You yep. might have a different love language than your wife or your girlfriend or whoever, or whoever you got in your life, right? Like it's just one yep. of those things. So, but the only way that you can truly understand how that person accepts love and feels love, maybe it's gifts, right? Maybe that's what it is that, that makes, that makes that person feel loved. Well, if I don't understand that and I'm giving them something else, as far as the way I perceive love, they're not getting what they want, then I'm not fulfilling that void. And so they're feeling unloved. So it's kind of like that with your values too. And the feelings that are connected to it. If I don't understand my partner's values and I don't go, okay, because she has a different set than I do and the feelings that are associated with those, then how do I truly understand her and have that kind of unity in our relationship to be able to actually work on things? Because let's face it, it's always work. So to me, I'm not afraid of the check-in. You want to check in with me every month to see where we're going? Good. I'm glad you want to because that means you care and you want to make this better. So that's cool. Like let's check in on the, like where we're feeling. And if we're a little bit off, maybe it's like, hey, I'm, I'm not feeling that good because my confidence isn't feeling that high. Well, for myself, if that's the case, I'm probably bending my integrity in some way. That's because I've confidence is self-worth comes with the territory with me with integrity. So maybe there's something in my life that it's, that's kind of skewed on the integrity thing. And that's why I'm not feeling confident. But I can't understand that about myself if I don't address it. But I sure as hell can't understand it about my partner if I'm not aware of it either. So that's, I'm not, I'm not being Dr. Ruth and saying that I know everything about relationships by any means because I've failed enough of them. But yeah. by the time that I've gotten to this point, that's my, that's my, I guess you could say, design for this next one. Now, do I know for sure it's going to be absolutely perfect? No, it's not going to be because that's just not the way these things work. But again, it's just trying to be progressive as good as I can be, not perfect. So. Yeah, yeah, and, and, I, and what strikes me is that you, your value in relationships is not just a, an intimate relationship, but like all relationships. And I'm sure you've deepened like all of your close personal relationships through this process. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely, I, no doubt. Well, none of us are perfect in in these areas, and we all have yeah. work to do. But it doesn't mean there's not certain expertise from from the journey so far. Totally. So. It would be wrong of me not to ask this before we finish up, Corey. Yeah, you sure. must have a great story from those days down in Florida when uh, in, the, in the craziness of, of uh, being, hanging out with all those dancers in, in the clubs and some of the you know, most popular 
place in the country at the time. A great story? Oh my God. I have like a bazillion great stories. That's why my book's a hundred thousand words. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) no, I mean, I will say this. I, 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 I had hit the pinnacle of my career really here in Canada. I'd won Mr. Nude Western Canada, took second in Mr. Nude Canada back then when they did contests. I was working in, in a position, it's a foregone industry. I mean, realistically, it's not the same as it was. It was very politically incorrect at that time, and we could all kind of get away with it back in the late 80s and 90s. I mean, it was just just crazy train in a lot of ways, right? So, yeah, yeah I, I'd, I'd done a lot with what I, I kind of hit the peak of what I could hit in Canada. And then when I went to the States, that was a, a different scenario because I kind of got brought on with this this amazing group that was the best group in all of North America at the time. So we had some really big shoes to fill because all those guys left and we kind of walked into this place that was held like almost 9,000 people and, you know, all these 48 bar stations and all these like massive club, like it was just insanity. I'd never even seen anything like it before. And so we walked into this and we had these massive shoes to fill. And so that was the summer actually of 1996. I'll never forget it. We we showed up down there and I was in this new world and I hadn't taken any drugs in my life. The first drug I ever took, as I said, was ecstasy. So it just not happened like the first week that I was in Florida. So I had all of a sudden I went from, you know, this world of people that I kind of knew at home, my family and friends that I knew all my life. And I went into this new world of not knowing anybody and not being judged by anybody. So this, if there was ever a time that I was going to jump into that and have some fun, that was the moment. So, you know, I, I was having a lot of fun in that summer of 96, being a free bird and just being really crazy. Um, but I really, really worked hard on getting the choreography down and being the best that I could as a dancer for that group. Cause I, I loved the position I was being paid to party. It was like the whole thing was awesome. So I worked really hard and there was, ironically, there was one woman that actually, she was, she worked as an assistant to the photographer for our group. So they were the marketing people and they took all of our promo. They did all of our costuming, just everything, right? Everything from the G strings on up, they did, covered everything. Right. So she and her and I actually, we got to be pretty good friends. And she had actually said at the beginning of the summer in 96, she said she had this necklace that she had. And, and there was actually 11 of them made 10 of them were for the entire old group that we had replaced. And she had the 11th. There was, and so she said at the beginning of that summer, when the group was replaced, she said, I am going to give my necklace to the one dancer that stood out the most to me. The one that resonated with me that did, that just is as close to the old guys as, as she could find, not only just on the stage, but off stage. Right. And so here we were at two o'clock in the morning. It's the end of summer in 96. We're on the dance floor. We're having a good time. And she stops me dead in my tracks. And she just looks me in the eyes and she starts, grabs my hand and she's holding my hands. And she goes like, I have to tell you something really serious right now. And I was like, what? And she was like, I just want you to know you're my friend. I love you so much. And I really appreciate you for everything that you've, you've done for me and just our connection that we've had through this summer. And I promised myself that I was going to give away the necklace to the, to the one, the one dancer that meant the most. And this is yours. And she handed it to me and it was this overwhelming feeling of acceptance in my new world. And that necklace is still around my neck right now. And it's on the cover of my book and it's the actual theater mask that's covering my face on the cover of my book. That is my necklace. Wow. So that is in the book. That is my moment of acceptance that still gives me goosebumps to this day. Now, was it making me a lot of money? No. Did it mean something? Yes. It, it, it was a, cause to me, 
life's about creating memories and having amazing relationships. And although I don't see that person anymore in my life, that moment was an amazing relationship and an amazing memory that I'll carry with me forever. And so that's just a little nice story that I had from that era. And I could tell you a bunch of other crazy stories that could get me in a lot of trouble probably, but that's in the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice tag. Um, I, I think uh, what you've highlighted there is something that's also another great exercise is thinking back to those people who have made those impacts. Yeah. And if you can reach out to them, I, I have tried with one, one of those for me and, and um, haven't been able to get in contact, but, but just, yeah, someone who had that sort of moment for me that just created such a lasting impression. And yeah, it's, it's what makes us human, right, is our ability to, to have these connections and those people that gave us something, maybe it's belief or validation or acceptance when we weren't giving it to ourselves. Yeah, you know, I mean, and this is part of why I'm so hungry right now to continue my Freebird status. And I'm not saying Freebird as in I don't want to work. In fact, I'm working harder in a lot of ways than I've ever in my life. But what I'm saying is, is that I feel like there's an element of just where I've been and where I want to go that I still want to have those relationships and be creating those memories. And I feel like in this last 10 years in particular, I haven't really, and especially this last two years has been a lot, a lot harder, obviously for obvious reasons for all of us. And I think that that's where a lot of us are really starving is, is we want to have those memories and those relationships because that is what life's about. So that's where I understand the struggle that's going on with so many people right now, wanting to be right in a world right now that really, quite frankly, nobody even knows what's right. Yeah. So it's like, that's where I come back to this, let's be kind to one another. Like, I don't care if you don't believe in one or the other, or you have your own set thoughts or whatever, you, nobody knows. And, you know, let's just try to understand each other a little bit more and find that gray area instead of just being so tribal. God, <laughs> never yeah, thought well, I'd see the world this tribal. I really did. Yeah. Well said. Uh, through understanding, we'll, we'll build those deeper connections. So uh, that's a great that's share. Helpful. Corey, thank you so much for sharing. We'll make sure that uh, in the notes here that people can see how they can get a hold of your book and uh, and to hear more about you and the work that you do. Thank you so much for sharing so openly. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. looking forward to reading some of those crazy stories uh, myself. So, <laughs> hey, I just want to say I appreciate you as well, Ian. I appreciate you for what you're doing with this podcast and everything, right? Because I do a lot of podcasts and some are for comedy and some are for whatever reason, but this actually, I think your podcast actually impacts people in a big way and you should be proud of that. You really should, you know, pat yourself on the back for that, man. You created something really great here. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and I, I'm very appreciative to the, the people who reach out and actually tell me that. So, and, and, and so I appreciate you for shining a light on that and for coming on here and, and telling your story through this unique lens. Thank you so much. Much love, my friend. You too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.